0: 1st Kings chapter 8. 1st Kings chapter 8 right there in the first part of the Bible you'll come to the Samuels and then 1st Kings 1st Kings 8. As you're going there, I'm going to read another passage or two here, but you go to 1st Kings 8. I want you to see some things. Also, um on Sunday May 19th, I'm trying to think of the dates. We're going to start a new series Many of you have probably played the game called life. Well, we're going to talk about the game of life starting on the 19th, and it's really going to become to decisions we make, life-altering decisions that every one of us make, sometimes on a, on a daily basis. And so we want to help you with your decision-making, so man, that's in a couple of weeks, that'll be good. First Kings eight is where we're going, but first of all, let me read you a couple of Proverbs here. Proverbs eight, verse thirteen in the message says, The fear of God means hating evil. The fear of God means hating evil. Well, what do you, you you find out is evil? Well, anything that God hates I should hate. And there's only a couple things that I can find in the Bible that God hates. God hates sin because he realized what it does to us. The other thing that God hates is pride. I've seen over and over again in the Bible, God, He he loves the the thief. He loves the sinner. He loves the adulterer. He loves the liar. But He says specifically in 1 Peter 5, He said, I resist the proud. I resist the arrogance. And so there's just a few few things that God hates. But one of the big things is, guys, we learn to hate evil, and that's part of the fear of the Lord. Now, one of our main texts, guys, has been... Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Let me read this and you'll remember where we've gone with this. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now, one thing I want you to hold on to is he said, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. I want you to remember that thought. I'm going to go somewhere with it tonight. We serve a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Okay, First Kings chapter eight, Now we're going to begin in uh, uh, we'll begin in verse twenty-two. Let me tell you a little bit what's going on here. King David's died, and he's given the, the the kingship over to his son Solomon. Solomon's in charge now. Let's begin in verse twenty-two. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. And he spread out his hands toward heaven. Now, this is a, a physical expression of worship to God. So I want you to think about this. This is what Solomon did right here. He spread out his hands toward heaven. And I believe, guys, this is a form of worship. This is a form of honor to, to Father God. One of the, the ways that I think this may help you, what does a little child do when he wants to be picked up? He does this. And this is exactly what we're doing to Father God. And so Solomon, he's beginning his kingship here, and so he he puts his hands toward heaven. And in verse 23, and he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. Now God is a God who keeps his covenant. And God keeps his mercy. God's a merciful God. And anytime God's covenant and God's mercy aren't apparent in your life, it's not because of God, okay? How do you know that? Well, look what he said there at the last part. He said, Who, who walk before you with all their hearts. If you walk before God with all your hearts, you're going to walk in His covenant. You're going to walk in His mercy, okay? Me, every one of us. And so I always know this, guys. When my life gets off track, It's not because of Father God. I like to blame God at times, but it's not God. I realize it falls back on me. Now, he gives them some instruction. Turn with me to verse number 40. And I'm jumping kind of in the middle of this for time's sake to get where we need to go. But in verse 40, he said that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Now, the they that he's talking about are the Israelites, the Jews. And know what he said, that they may fear you all the days of their life. I believe it's very important, guys, that that we learn to soak ourselves in the fear of God. But right here, Solomon is addressing the Jews, the Israelites, okay? Two types of people on earth, the Jews and the Gentiles, okay? If you weren't born a Jew, then you're a Gentile, period. That's okay. We're all Gentiles or most of us in here. I don't know if we've got any Jews here tonight. If you do, bless you. Verse 41. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel. So you know who he's talking about? Gentiles. But has come from a country for your namesake. For they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arms when he comes and prays toward this temple. Here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the former calls to you, that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you. So immediately here when, when Solomon takes over, he addresses the Jew and he addresses the non-Jew. And you know what one of the things he prescribes? He says, you got to live with the godly fear you got to have a, a reverential fear. You know, in Isaiah 56, 7, it says, My house will be a house of prayer to all people. And so God's got guidelines for every one of us. This is part of them. Now go with me the book of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, chapter number 1. I, I believe this, guys, as you're turning there, God's desire for each one of us is to fear him. Not, want, not to disrespect him, not to have uh, irreverence. You know, when you look at it, Adam and Eve's life, when they were put in the garden, they weren't put there to have a healing ministry or deliverance ministry. They were put there to walk with God, to have a relationship with God. But because of their disobedience, guys, it cut off that relationship. And let me say this. The root of disobedience is always a lack of fear of God. When I begin to disobey God, it's because I don't fear God. And so it's important that not only we obey God, but we live with that fear to say, "Man, Father God, I want to please you. And the accurate measurement of of every one of us, spiritual condition, you know how it's measured? In our obedience. It's just not what we say. I mean, we can yak all day long. We can talk in Christianese and let everybody know where we're coming from. But it shows up in my obedience, in my actions. Malachi chapter 1. Now, Malachi, guys, was a prophet. And his name meant my messenger. So he's got a message to these guys. And let's begin in verse 6. Malachi 1 verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? Now note something in that passage right there. He said, if. If then I am the father. Notice he didn't say, if then I am a father. He said, if I am the father. Now understand what he's saying here. In God's eyes, he's the only God. There is no other God. It was the command to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, okay? And so he's giving them insight here. If I am the father, the only father, where is my honor? And if I am master, where is my reverence, said the Lord of hosts? So what he begins to do here is, is God's asking his people. He said, If you call me Lord or you call me father... But where's my honor? Where's my reverence? Where's my respect? He goes on to say, To you priests who despise my name, you were arrogant, yet you say, In what way have we despised your name? Now, he's getting ready to show them how they disrespected him. You offered defiled food on my altar, but say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible or despised. And so what was going on here, guys? They were offering imperfect sacrifices, and not only were they offering imperfect sacrifices, there was no sincerity. They just kind of went through the motions. Now, in in every one of our lives, we, we can all probably identify to this. How many of us have offered an imperfect sacrifice and really with us, guys, we don't, we don't sacrifice animals anymore like they did. But I can offer an imperfect sacrifice when I come in here and I don't give God due praise and, and honor, when I don't worship Him. I can come in here and, and my mind be on the Cowboys game that day. My mind be going on to the lake. You know what? That's an imperfect offering to Him. He sees that. Or you know better yet, I can come in here I am just put my hands in my pocket all day. I can come in here and I can go through the motions, but it's not sincere. And so this is what he's getting at. And with these guys, I look and I think, how does this affect me? What am I doing? Do I do this with Father God? Keep reading. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? So what he's doing here is he's telling them, listen guys, you don't give me your best. And I think, how many times in my life have I not given God my best? And I, I mean, this, this yanks my heart when I read this. God starts dealing with me. So look what he says. Offer it then to your governor so what he does here to see their error he challenges them and he said why don't you then offer it to your governor who would the governor be people in authority over them? people you pay taxes to I believe it could be even our bosses and he said you do this to me but what would happen if you did it to mankind? Now this really began to disturb me when I did I began to look at it because even the disrespect I've had for the things of God at times. And so, here just for a second. If the majority of Christians treated or respected their bosses like we do God, how many of us would get fired the first day? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And this is what he's getting to. He's telling them, you show more reverence, you show more fear for man than you do for me. Now I can tell you, I've been here. And so I begin to think about these things the way we disrespect our lack of reverence for God and every bit of it, guys, it's rooted in a lack of fear for him. Now this may hurt a little bit, but I begin to think about this even in our own lives. How many of us when we come to church? It's no big deal to be 10, 20, 30 minutes late. And then we leave early. I mean, I look at that and I think, if I did that at work, man, my boss would fire me. But this is what we do right here in the church. And we don't think nothing about it. How about this, when you're scheduled to serve in the church and you show up late now think about this guys God sees this we're really doing this unto the Lord this is unto God and you're scheduled to serve and you don't even show up and you don't even call to tell somebody you're not going to be here I told you this is going to hurt but what this is it's a lack of fear for God to think you know what I put more emphasis on my job than I do the kingdom of God. What about this? We never serve or we never give. And you know what a lot of Christians' mindset is? You ought to just be glad I show up. Well, you can have that attitude, but God sees all this. And this is kind of what Malachi's getting over at right here. And as Christians, you know, some of the most critical people on earth are Christians. I hope that's not us. And I had a little girl who was coming to church. Not a little girl. I guess when you get my age, you're all little. It's not that I'm that old, but I'm just getting older. But she worked at the Texas Roadhouse. And she said, Pastor, if I'm not there on Sunday mornings, it's because I'm working. And I said, I understand. I said, I pray blessings over that you work. I said, Sundays are probably a pretty good day for you with tips, aren't they? She said, actually, they're horrible. And I said, really? And she said, Christians are the most critical and the worst tippers on the face of the earth. And I thought, golly guys, but you think about what we can be critical of even right here. And many times, you know, and we will not go to church because my favorite TV program's on. I've had people tell me that. I won't be there on Wednesday night because those Gunsmoke reruns are on. Well, I look and I think, you know what? You're hurting yourself. God's the one you're going to have to stand for. Now, if I had that attitude at work, how long would I last at my job? Now let me tell you a good side of this. Just a few weeks ago, a lot of times in the hallways before Wednesday night services, I love to go around and just tell all the people that serve. And all you that serve, I say thank you. I say thank you. But one of our our ladies who doesn't have any children in our our children's ministry, actually she's a grandma, Lane Howard, She was back there working. And she was back there early. And you know what she said to me? She said, Pastor, I had to get here early. And I said, man, I appreciate you getting here early. And she said, no. She said, I was praying over the room. She said, I was praying over the room. And I tell you, I got so blessed. I thought, thank God that there's people teaching your children in there that pray over those rooms and pray over them. Another one was was Ken Richburg's wife, Maria. Reese said, Pastor, we're so honored to serve and minister to your children. And you know what? We don't have many men back there doing it. I wish we had a bunch more men, but we got one in here tonight. This guy, he tears it up, Jason Lindeman. I mean, there's times I've been in the hallway in between services when I drink too much coffee. I've got to run down there and go to the bathroom before we start. I could hear him in there. And I thought, man, if I wasn't preaching, I'd be in his class. But what happens, guys, is this. Is, is Malachi's trying to make a point here? God takes notice of these things. All these things are a reflection of how I honor and respect God. You know, I've had people say, Pastor, we want God to move. We want the Holy Spirit to move in our services. But people get mad when our services go over 10 or 20 or 30 minutes. They get mad and it's almost like, okay, God, you have this time space and you move in that and if you don't, we're out of here. But yet I think about this, we'll work overtime at work to maintain our standard of living. And I'll guarantee you, if a, if a normal movie is an hour and 45 minutes, and it goes two hours and 10 or two hours and 15 minutes, at an hour and 45 minutes, none of you get up and say, I'm out of here. It's going too long. Not one of you would walk out. And we go to the football game, and when it goes to overtime, we I'm going home, it's going too long. Crud, no you don't. But see, this is things that God sees, and I believe this is what he was trying to point out. All this is a reflection of my lack of honor and gratitude to Father God. I don't fear God. we got to come back to a fear of God. Now turn back two books to your left. You're going to go through this guy named um, Zachariah, and then you're going to hit Haggai. I want you to go to Haggai chapter 1 guy, chapter 1. I'm going to tell you guys who serve in all of our church, God bless you. God bless you. And I say thank you, but I know even Father God, he's the one's going to reward you. Bless you. I realize how many people it takes even to pull off a Wednesday night, all you ones who serve over and over. Bless you. Thank you. Now, here we are, this guy named Haggai. Now, he was a prophet. Now, Haggai lived within the same century as Malachi, but Haggai's name meant the encourager. He was called the encourager. So get this. Haggai 1 verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, This people says, The time has not come to them that the Lord's house should be built. And I love that. It says, This people said. In other words, We're the ones calling the shots down here. This people said. Verse 3. But then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, It is time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses. And these paneled houses, guys, you were talking about a real expensive cedar. And this temple to lie in ruins. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. The Hebrew word for that says, set your heart on its own ways. You have sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, Earn wages to put in a bag with holes. And so he's beginning to tell us here that everything they did, their effort was all in vain. We never get ahead. Things aren't right. And maybe that may define some of us. Just the exact things that he's talking about. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Now you know what he's saying right there just in a nutshell? I'm not first. Your life is first. Everything you do. Matthew 6:33 says seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom. So he's telling them some things right here because I'm not first in your life. Keep reading verse 10. Therefore the heavens above you will withhold the dew. You know what the dew is? It's the anointing. He said, "I'm going to withhold the anointing and the earth withholds its fruit or its blessings." For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains on the grain on the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and all the labor of your hands. So nature itself guys will reflect divine judgment when the will of God is ignored. When we look and say uh-uh, uh uh-uh. We're not listening. We're not paying attention. We're not going in that direction. Nature itself will begin to reflect it. But look what happens here in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shilto, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Disobedience, guys, was always a sign of lack of reverence for God. How do I know that? He says right there, and they obeyed. They obeyed. Now, thank God, it takes one person sometime to heed whether the word of God or the prophet and say, listen, guys, we've got to start obeying we got to start obeying the things of God and things will begin to happen. Now, chapter 2, verse 4. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts according to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts once more, it is a little while, and I will shake heaven and earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations. Do you know where this is cross-referenced to, guys? Hebrews twelve twenty-eight. when I said to you, therefore... Since since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken by grace, let us fear God and reverence Him. So he's talking about right here, there's coming a time when things are going to shake. Once more is a little while. And I will shake heaven, and I will shake earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations. Now, what he's talking about here, guys, the only thing that can't be shaken is the kingdom of God. It cannot be shaken. Everything else will be shaken. Keep reading. And they shall come to the desire of all the nations, and I will fill the temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. I will fill my temple with glory. So what happens, guys, is when the glory of the Lord starts coming in, judgment starts increasing. Okay? When glory comes up, so does judgment. Every time you go back, you'll see this all through the Old Testament over and over again. He's telling us here, the day's going to come when I'm going to shake things. And my glory's going to start coming back. Keep reading. The silver's mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 9. And the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. The glory of the latter... So what he's talking about here guys is the second coming of Jesus when it starts approaching more and getting closer and closer and it is the glory of the Lord is going to start increasing. And the thing is about Father God even in the wedding of Canaan in John 2 God saved the best for last. So I'm telling this right now as the glory of the Lord start increasing, and it's going to increase, as evil increases, God's glory is going to increase. We've got to live with the fear of God. Live with the reverential fear of God unlike any other time. And begin to say, listen Lord, even if you've got to shake me, put a fear within me. Because things are going to happen. You know, in um, uh, Proverbs 6.31, I believe it is, it says, when the thief is caught, he'll have to restore seven times. Now, over and over in the Bible, the thief is referred to as the devil. Where's that? John 10.10, 10, it says the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. The thief's caught, he's got to restore seven times. I believe we're going to see the anointing of God increase seven times. I believe things are going to start rocking here pretty quick. You know, when you look at the, 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 the church of Acts... When the outpouring of the Holy Spirit first came, man, things begin to happen. What happened? The church was added to 3,000 one day. The church was added to 5,000. There was healings. There was miracles. Remember the story of Peter that even when his shadow walked by, they were healed. I'm going to tell you guys, these are the things that are begin to happen. They're going to happen more frequently, but as they happen, the judgment's going to happen. We're going to begin to see these things. In Deuteronomy 28, it says that, that the enemy may come in this way, but he'll depart in seven different ways. I tell you, it's going to be a great time, guys. Great time, but I believe the reason we're teaching this too is we start living with the fear of God. And I tell you, I can come in here right now and, and I, I've got such a fear of God, I say, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. But my cry is more and more, I don't want people to go to hell. And it, it, it really bothers me right now when I look at people and I think, man, the church, what would happen if we would reverence God? And we would begin to worship Him. God says, when I'm high and lifted up, I'll draw all people unto me. And when the things of God start happening, you know what it does? It draws people. But it comes from even a church that says, we're going to fear God. We're going to honor Him. Now go with me to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. Don't do don't ignore, guys, Scripture that brings correction, instruction, even adjustments into our life. know, one day I was in here praying and the Lord really spoke to my heart and He said, you guys need to get to a place where the love of God is so strong in here. My presence is so strong here. That you make it hard for people to go to hell. And I thought, oh my gosh, man, that's my heart right there. Let's make it hard for people to go to hell. But I believe, guys, we gotta get, we gotta get our loved ones. We gotta get coworkers. We gotta get neighbors and into the things of God. And it's time to quit playing games. It's time to look and say, man, Father God, we reverence you. We reverence you. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words, I got to receive his word, and treasure my commands within you. We got to treasure his commands. It ought to be a treasure to us so that you climb your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Don't just hear it. You got to apply it. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And I believe this, guys, as my appetite for the word of God increases to please God and to cry out for him. The fear of God increases. You know, if I... If I said to you guys tonight, you have $10 million that's in your home right now, you guys would leave here immediately tonight and you would go home and you would rip up every stitch of carpet. You would knock off every piece of tile. You would knock holes in the wall. You would turn your furniture upside down. You would get in the attic and throw out the insulation. You would knock the sheet rocker. You would knock the roof off. Some of you would tunnel underneath the house. Why? Because you're going to search for it with all you got. This is where I believe we've got to get back to the kingdom of God. Where I begin to major in obedience and say, Father God, I treasure your commands. I treasure your commands. That's the love of God in my life. And when I get off track, that's man, the quickest thing I do is I repent anymore. I want to be right with God. Man, my prayer is for us. Father God, put a fear of us. A reverential fear that, that, that we shake in your presence. I don't know if you've never shook in the presence of God. I've shook in the presence of God, guys. Where I thought, I don't want to breathe. I don't want to move. I'm afraid I could be a french fry. You know, I shared this a few weeks ago. Just what happens when you begin to talk about the kingdom of God, when you begin to talk about Jesus. And I'm going to reference this, and this is how we'll end again tonight. There's the guy at the Men of Iron every year who who is a pro football player. I mean, his, his arms are bigger than my legs. He's just a big old guy. But he's a teddy bear. Played for the Kansas City Chiefs. And he operates in the gift of discernment where he sees into the spiritual realm. But you would never know it. He's really quiet. He's really reserved. Well, he'll give you the play-by-plays about what is happening. The different things that are going on. And I'm telling you, it'll move you. I mean, I, there's some of you in here, I know you've probably seen angels and you've seen in the spirit realm. I never have yet. But I can sense them. There's times I sense them. Those big angels, there's, there's a couple of them that hang back in this back corner of the, the auditorium. I used to think there was one big one, but I had a lady in here praying one night who sees in the spirit realm, and she said, no, nah, Pastor, there's three big ones back there. And so I sense them, man, at times. I'm telling you, I sense them. So one night at the Men of iron, I speak, and he starts telling me what's going on, the play-by-play. And he said, you, you saw, you saw that spirit of death. And I said, I didn't see it. He said, how'd you know that? And I sensed it. I said, I didn't see it though. And so he started telling me that there, there was such a, a force between darkness and good. And, and he said, the good side was all the angels. And I said, was Jesus there? And he said, yeah. And when he talks about Jesus, he'll get over on what he's wearing. I mean, he'll tell you what he's wearing, man, the different colors. And I'll say, what, what does that mean? And he'll tell me. Man, when he shows up in that red, that's his blood. He's he's healing. When he shows up in this really, and he he can't describe the blue, but he said, that's his ambassadorship. He said, man, when he shows up in that blue, man, the angels just. So he given me the play-by-play of everything's happened. So the next morning, I get up and I go down and eat breakfast with all the men of our church, and there's about 15 of us there. And I begin to share about what he had seen and told me. And when you start talking about Jesus, how he heals and sets people free, Jesus shows up. Right there in that cafeteria, you could sense the presence of God. And I mean, I just, oh my, and a, a fear of God came on me. Like, well, I look and hear this guy who's telling me, he's walking by with this tray. So I go running after him and I said, hey, I'm sharing with these men about everything that took place. Would you share? He said, "Nah, I won't do it. He's real reserved and quiet. He said, oh. I said, okay, I respect that. So I go back at the table and I'm sitting there. And next thing I knew, he taps me on the shoulder. He sits down. He starts sharing, guys, and I'm telling you the presence of God. Before long, and this is not evangelistically speaking, I'm not exaggerating. I bet there was a hundred men. That cafeteria grew up. Men were standing on chairs, listening, and no one was moving. I mean, it was total quiet, respect, and reverence. It was awesome. And all of a sudden, he's sharing, and his head does this. It drops, and he shuts up, and I look, and tears start hitting the table. And so I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. So just real quietly, I whisper, and I said, Kelly, is Jesus here? And he goes. And I'm telling you, it was a couple minutes. Not one man blinked, moved. The reverence of God was so strong in there. And I believe God wants to do those things. But it comes when we begin to honor Him. And we begin to reverence Him. And we start expecting a move of God and say, Yep, you're my father. You're my master. I'm honored to call you Yahweh. I'm honored to call you King Jesus. I'm honored to call you Lord. And I'm so proud to be able to do that. Woo, stand up. Or I may be working in the nursery next week. Hallelujah.